0: Fulhamish is back for the season by Ladbrokes. It's the Fulhamish podcast, your regular audio drip feed of Fulham FC goodness. My name is Sammy James. Thank you for listening today. And tonight we're going to be looking back at Fulham's one or draw up at Bolton Wanderers as the winning run that sadly came to an end with Adam LaFondra, of all people, Levelling matters with a quite spectacular goal. Shades of Jamie Vardy in that one, I thought. And how apt that just as we play the trotters, I'm left with fools and horses to present this podcast with. You it's Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. Uh, lovely jubbly, it's Joe Johnson making his debut. How are you doing? You right? And stick a pony in my pocket, it's Dan Crawford. Hello, mate. How you doing? Nice to see you. I was going to say, um, and his political party can't stand anything more than millionaires.
1: <laughs> it's pretty good for you, mate.
0: But I went with Ponyman Pocket instead, because I, I didn't want to insult you too much. But I thought I'd bring it up anyway, so I might as well have just said it. Right, well, loads to discuss in this podcast. All the reaction from Fulham's draw up at the Macron Stadium on Saturday. Uh, we're going to be looking back at the four games that have just happened. The four-game runway and um, the upcoming tough fixtures that Fulham have uh, in February and March. But first... We must do some three-word reviews from the draw up at the Macron Stadium on Saturday. Uh, Jack's been off secretarial duties for the past few weeks. He's back in the hot seat tonight. What's come in? Plenty of uh, hashtag bring back
2: Collinses, so they were nice. Thanks for everyone that put those ones in. Really? Zero. Zero, yeah. Yeah, I thought it might be the case. Um, We have white noise, uh, as in a a hero and a, a friend and a mentor to us. He says, trotters independent fouling. That was a good one. <laughs> very good. He's got Jack-
0: the only four and horses
2: as well. I like it. Indeed, Jack and Loz who are obviously wonderful Fulham bloggers, with unbeaten run continues. That was very good. Um, Brett Pund said everyone dropped points, which was important. Lester said substitutions killed momentum, um, which was interesting. Tim Tastic Ream said lost all momentum. Martin Fry says the momentum continues. So we're, we're kind of all over the place here, lads. But BC Brown's bloodied at Bolton was, I think, probably the one that wrapped it up nicest of all.
0: Alliteration
2: always helps. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of alliteration. Puns and alliteration, you're getting on the pod. <laughs>
0: you know, easy easy wins. And I'm hoping Jack and Loss might be on our podcast very soon. Yeah, fingers crossed. And uh, we're speaking to them in a few weeks. Right, just to say before we get into Bolton that this season, Fulhamish is backed by Ladbrokes. And right now, if you sign up and deposit £50 in your account, then Ladbrokes will match your deposit up to £50 the deal has changed. You can get this offer by following the link at bet.fullamish.co.uk So it was an open game uh, at the Macron, 1 all between Fulham and Bolton, ended our five game winning run, but extending our unbeaten stretch uh, to nine games. Uh, Damn it, it was an unchanged lineup from the win over Forest. Target once again at left back, and Fonts given the striker role once again. Do you think Slav got it right
1: with his starting lineup? Yeah, I think uh, you had to pick that team, yeah. uh, because that team's been delivering the goods. And you know, it is. night. Nice. I, I do remember my last visit uh, to to this podcast, Sammy, very fondly. Well, it was um, ding, ding means, between you too. and Jack Collins. I also remember it fondly. There it was, was a did, few well, black uh, eyes. Oh, verbal well, black eyes. Well, well, I felt like I got all my shots off, so <laughs> you know, I, it didn't didn't seem to affect me.
2: Unlike a Bubakar Kamara, some <laughs> would say.
1: Here we go! It's almost like he was (laughs) George Groves out of the trap. You know, as I I said in 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 the build-up, George Groves started very fast in that contest, but look at his look at where his career is now. You know. (laughs) Silly little Chelsea boy spends a lot of time on his backside, you know. If that's really who you want to be rooting for, Jack, then uh, then you carry on, son. But, Anyone not going anyway, to Back back back, so back, back to the uh, back to the question, which I believe was what you what you asked me. <laughs> it you know? was what so, I asked you. That yeah. was the question <laughs> <laughs> a million years ago. Um, you had to pick that team because it's been performing really really well, or, you know. And I do remember in the dim and distant past there were several members of this podcast who questioned UK uh fitness to be uh, the Fulham coach, and uh, you know it's nice that we've we've got past that period, and uh, you know Slavisa has proved me right uh, with his strong uh, tactical adjustments and uh, the team's excellent run. And crucial to this were uh, Matt Target, who's been uh, been. A phenomenal success at left-back since he's come in from Southampton. Forged a really good link-up with, with Ryan Tesnion. And I suppose, really, the only question, the only two questions you had about that that team were, would Tom Kearney be fit enough to, to start in central midfield? Um, because we're always a classier outfit with, with him on the ball, and clearly he was fit enough to come on... Um, but couldn't quite get us that that winning goal, and then who you went for up front, and I can actually see the thinking behind continuing with Font, because if you look at the Bolton centre halves in in uh, David Wheater and uh, and Mark Beavers they are robust physical centre halves who like a physical confrontation, and Font was actually dragging them across the pitch and out of position um, for for the majority of his time on on the on the pitch, which certainly created a few chances, particularly. Uh, in the first half.
0: Um Joe makes a makes a change to get an early goal for Fulham. We haven't had that too much over the winning run that's been brilliant pretty much uh, in 2018. It's apart from the cup run it's been a 100% start and a lovely finish from Matty Target in the fourth minute. Took it well, took it very clinically, a bit like a striker.
3: Yeah, he's he somehow managed to find a um a very strong partnership with Sess on that left-hand side. Mm which I think is something that has been lacking on the right-hand side for quite a while. Fredo's partnership up top has always been switching quite a bit, mm-hmm. whether we've been playing Aiete, whether we've been putting Cabano there, more recently Piers on. So um, I'm glad that, that Matty Target has got off to a good start so far. It's always good to start off your, your Fulham career with with a goal in your first two games, uh, well, especially from left-back. I mean
0: we love an on loan left-back getting their only goal up at B- Bolton. This Luka is a Copa. niche reference
3: and I like it. I'm into it. I'm well, Lou Garber's kind
0: of only goal for Fulham was away at the Macron Stadium. I'm hoping it doesn't end up being Matty Target's only goal. It no, wasn't.
3: I don't think it will be with that left-hand side. They're both quite young. I see they're kind of commenting on each other's instances quite quite a lot going, there, yeah, like you're on Flames, Matty. Bit, bit of a bromance. Yeah, bro. yeah. You know, they're getting on well, so hopefully that, that um, can transpire to a decent performance on the pitch. And I think to get an early goal... Like Fulham haven't been doing for a while, we've been kicking off games in the, the latter parts of the, the game, the 80th minute, the 85th minute. Um, to finally start off and get a goal in the first 10 is a breath of fresh air, really, for our side.
0: Jack, that was the surprising thing for me on Saturday, is we didn't capitalise on that early goal. Quite often, especially with a team like Bolton, who we were going to struggle to break down the longer the game went on. Goalless. So a goal after four minutes, I'm not going to lie, I just kind of expected, not the floodgates to open, I thought the Macron's a tough place to go and I give Bolton much more respect than expecting to just go up there and do a Burton. But I thought it was going to go on and be a comfortable victory. It's quite surprising that despite an early goal, it didn't end up being that way.
2: I think you have to remember that Bolton have lost something like 1-11 in at the Macron. They're not an easy side to beat at home, and especially with the physicality they offer and the kind of you know, hold-up play that's always troubled Fulham, that kind of, you know, straight-down-the-line kind of football that has really threatened to undo us at certain points this season, it, it's never going to be easy. I think if we'd scored a second goal early on, then, and, you know, as was as was nearly forthcoming, it, it would have been a different game. But, you know, once once that happened and once Fulham's early spell of pressure really wore off, it, it did look like an even game, and it looked like a game of football. And, and that's one of the things that, you know, you, you look at it and you think maybe a point was... Yeah, Fulham had the better chances and, you know, aside from Bolton's actual goal, they only had maybe one other clear-cut chance in the entire game. But
0: many s- had to make a few saves, though.
2: Yes, but not point-blank kind of, you know, not saves like he made you against, know, Forest. It, against Forest. Mm. You know, he made he made a few saves. In fact, I'd argue it was one of his busier games, but it wasn't so much in terms of, you know, making crucial point-blank saves on the line. He made one really good save from Zach Clough in the first half. Um, That was a very good stop. But aside from that, you know, it was one of those ones where you didn't necessarily see where a goal was going to come from and a bit of magic. And then after that, it was, you know, again, last 20 minutes, as we've seen in so many games recently, it's been all Fulham.
0: And just for once, we seem to not find a way through. I love Rui Font, but he's got to be doing better with that chance after Wieter's terrible misjudgment. I mean, he does well to create the opportunity for himself, but... Come on, Dan. I love Rui. I just want him to finish those kind of chances, get the get the
1: monkey off his back. Well, it, you know, Rui scored a couple of really good goals against... Do you
0: know what? Against, it's actually not the finish that annoys me. And... It's actually his lack of awareness to not find the other players that were free with the easy pass that they had much easier well, chances. Well, I mean,
1: let's, let's talk about Stefan Johansson seemingly forgetting that there were three people open when he could slip that ball across in the 88th minute. Made it know. himself, though. Um, well, he did do, and so did Rui, to be fair. He robs, well, you call it a misjudgment. You know, it's nothing if... Uh, for, and pe- there's a, the people behind me, absolutely coating Font for not being physical enough, you know, not putting his foot in. Mm. Um, and... Unfortunately, they're just not going in for him at the moment. It's a good um, save. That that that's, some, that's something that something
3: hasn't really been pointed out. It's a good stop. He's come out well. He's come out really well to stop that.
1: But it's, it's
0: the it's the players around him that annoy me because I think Sess was free.
1: Yeah, but I mean, look, 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 look. I don't. Given that we continually try and walk the ball in the net or pass the ball into the net, I'm unhappy about a forward or anybody thinking I'm going to have a crack here. You know, um, it does make a bit of a difference uh, that we're at, that we're we're looking to, to to shoot a goal. Um, and I thought Font was a little hard done to actually, because I'm sure we'll come on to it later. But the uh, the the change that Jukanovic makes in in the second half unbalanced us for uh, for for some time in, in in the second period, and I think we relinquished our our initiative. If we're looking at uh, where that game went wrong and you've all said, you know, we seeded a bit of initiative after scoring that early goal, you expected us to go on and impose our style upon Bolton, and it really looked like for a while we were going to be able to do that. You've got to ask why we didn't ram home that, that really good start. Well, let's come on to it now. I mean, uh, Pia- Fontan Piazon
0: subbed after around 50 minutes for Kamara and Mitrovic. Uh, presumably, though, Joe, this was a response from Slav to better deal with Bolton's... Physical
3: presence. Yeah, that's something that we've struggled with our sides in recent. Is they're not physical enough, especially
0: think. against a side like yeah. Bolton, who are probably in the top two or three physical sides. They've in the got
3: league. a horrible group of players, especially people like <laughs> Carl, uh, like Carl Henry. It's a lovely way um, of describing it. It's true though; they they have got that physical aspect. So I think that that change maybe shouldn't have come so early. I understand the peers on change because he wasn't. I don't think he was performing that well in that game in particular. He has done a recent, but not in that game specifically. Uh, but the Fonte Fonte being taken off in the 50th minute, like Dan said, it, it did unstable us for, for quite some time because Mitrovic is lacking that match fitness at the moment, I believe.
0: But at the time, mm-hmm. were you happy or were you disgruntled to see that change? It's obviously easy, very easy to say in hindsight it didn't work. But at the time, I would have thought, well, yeah, I guess... Let's try and build on our one goal lead and let's change the attacking options round because the chances weren't falling to Font much more.
3: I understood it and it, it it made sense to make that change. But in hindsight, maybe it should have come a bit later.
2: Also, potentially, it wasn't necessary to make both changes at the same time. There's one thing bringing Mitrovic on there or Kamara, you know, either one and and you and we as we said Piazon Piazon wasn't having his best game but it, it it's one thing changing things completely and and also almost altering a system because obviously you know we've talked at length about Piazon playing as that kind of like inverted winger and cutting in uh, and kind of trying to unlock things and then going with kind of you know I think we tweeted at the time that the hound dogs have been set loose which kind of summed it up for me. It was it was almost like a you know, and let's let these two like madmen loose together and hope what hope they works. Whereas you know if you'd brought Kamara or Mitrovic on alongside you know Cabano, shall we say, on the mm. wing, and it had been one of the two of them you know early on or and, and within a system, then then things change and you and you look at you know trying to make things work one by one, but ch- changing them both at once felt like a. A complete throw of the dice. And I understand the thing about Piazon and Font working together. And I'll speak, you know, we've spoken about it at length. And I agree. But I just think that putting Kamara out on the right wing is is kind of mad, you know, in in a system we've got where we have a dearth of wingers who, you know, have have plenty of experience and and plenty of, you know, ability at this level. To to then go and put Kamara on the wing, who's obviously a through the middle kind of striker, It, it just seems a little bit bizarre to me.
0: But he did.
1: I think I mean a surfeit of wingers, not Surfing, a Surfeit, not a, a dearth, yeah.
0: He made quite an impact. He he got on the ball a lot, he was very positive with his play, and he created a lot of chances. Yeah, but I agree, but as in then stick him up front
1: and, and let yeah. someone run with him. Look, there's, there's, there's two things about this. You've all commented on the, on the sort of unpredictability of making those two changes at the same time because clearly you've just had a team talk where I assume... Lavisa was saying, you know, more of the same, please, lads. Our higher tempo in the final third, and if you're telling the team to go out and replicate that early start, changing two of the cogs that got you that early start makes it a little more difficult uh, straight away. Um, and then there's the other side of it, which is we were incredibly vulnerable down the right, down the right flank um, on on Saturday, which was unusual because of late, Fredo has been much more. Um, Secure defensively and has been supported by Piazon or whoever has stepped in to 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 replace uh, Piazon. Kamara is not the kind of guy. With great, I love the guy, um, and I think we all do for for many many reasons. Um, but he's not the guy you want tracking a winger back seventy yards, making a tackle on the edge of your own box. And the key thing that you want with Kamara is his ability to run at people, as Jack has said, with pace. Uh, in the final third. The issue was, bringing both of them on at uh, at the same time, we lost some impetus in the midfield. We lost a spare, we lost the extra man in midfield by virtue of people having to charge about all over the place. Um, And Bolton drew some confidence from that. And, you know, It is right to say Bolton, this, this wasn't an absolutely terrible result. Bolton haven't lost at home in the league since mid-September. They've just beaten Bristol City which, and, and did us a massive favour uh, last week. And they are tough to beat. Um, and there was a spell in that game after the wonder goal from from, from uh, Adam LaFondra where I was seriously worried that they were going to overwhelm us a little bit because they had a 10 or 15 minute spell where yep. you know Marcus was, was quite busy and we didn't look like we could deal with the sort of direct, simple route one ball that we'd been gobbling up in the first half.
0: Well, no, Abiyobi was causing quite a lot of problems, which you guys predicted on the preview podcast. He's also in good form at the moment, but it's just... It's his direct style, which actually is in contrast to some of the teams that we're going to see over the next few weeks. He has he has the blinkers on, doesn't he? And it, it, there's one there's
1: one route, and it is goalward at all costs. Well, I mean, they scored a goal at Craven Cottage from exactly the same type of thing, uh, situation, where they scored uh, on Saturday. And indeed, in the first half, Jack referenced a, a tidy save from... From Marcus Bentnelli and the first half from Zach Clough. And that originated from the exact same genesis, if you like, as the as the goal of Craven College, a long punt forward. It's the kind of thing we don't deal well with. And it's the only criticism of that January transfer window is we didn't get the commanding imposing centre half whom you know Ragnar Sigurdsson was supposed mm. to be. Sorry, I couldn't help but laugh. Um uh but let's come on to that goal,
0: cause as much as, yeah, you say it's a direct Route One ball what else could have we done? Really, what else could have we done with that goal? I mean, it's an absolute wonder strike from Adam LaFondre, a kind of once every three years kind of strike, even for a striker of his pedigree.
3: I mean, it's on his weak foot as well, which just shows how how hard he has hit it. I think there's not a lot we could have done, but I think, in my personal opinion, Bettinelli could have been in a better place for that. If you watch back, um, he's tracking back quite fast while Lafondra's coming out to the wing just before he hits it. He's, he's then going to be slightly off-balanced, and he's also too far across the goal the goal mouth. He's not in a good position to deal with that. He's not going to be able to anticipate him shooting from there. He probably thinks he's going to run it out to the wing and get it into the box. Bettinelli's position, I think, should have been better, but it's an incredible strike.
2: I think there's something to be said for the fact that if Betanelli had been rooted to the spot... And it had gone over him, I'd have been like, yeah, fair enough. But the fact that he flaps it potentially means that, potentially for me, you know, I think maybe he should be, you know, starting in a better position to look, it's a wonderful strike. And I don't think we should be taken away from that. But I, I, I do.
3: But I, isn't it I just, think there
2: are things that, I, I think there are days
0: that Marcus Bentley would save that. But isn't it just the power of the unexpected? I remember I've watched that Kasami strike. A million times. That goes completely that over load. the key. It but but it's I, I the key, think, but... I look at it and I think, Spironi could have got it. But it's just the fact that it's so unexpected. It's so quick. And yes, okay, if it went slower, it's not so high that the keeper couldn't get there. But it's just so powerful and in real time, like, does he really even have a chance? I just don't think he no, does. He's got, no, he's got
1: no chance. I'm sorry. Exactly. Um, this is a this is, you know, classic sort of I understand what everyone's doing. They're watching the game, watching the replay to see, wow, that was a wonder strike, you know, um, could somebody do better? How would we defend against that? I understand that. Bettinelli would have done that this morning and, and looked at it, and he's a perfectionist. He would want to he would want to save that. But are you seriously telling me that as that ball dropped, people were thinking Blimey, he's going to hit it from there, and people need to be ready for that. I would bow to to all of your massive years of goalkeeping experience, lads. Um, if you <laughs> if you, if you think that you get to that, I would, uh, and I would also, you know, name me ten goalkeepers who were, who would have reached that. Um, quite Jack Alex Smithies, Jack. <laughs> Jack. <laughs> you know the fact that he has to quote a guy. Who, has been instrumentally in QPL dropping like stones or says everything, really. Look, Bettinelli can be... You, you can criticise Bettinelli. Everyone's opinion is valid. But if you're going to do that, you have to credit the three saves he's made. There's one in particular from Lafondre later in the game where it's deflected. Um, and he gets a, a good hand to it and two saves from, from Zach Club, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm not having that. No, get anywhere near that. And the, the key thing is, we're doing this with the element of looking at it in a slow-motion replay you know, you've got the ferocity of the short. It does take him by surprise. It also took everyone in the ground by surprise. And it's the pace that it's hit at. He only gets one opportunity to save it. He didn't save it. But, you know, I'm not stringing him up for that one. Sorry. No, nor am I. I totally agree with you there. Um, is it the best
0: goal that Fulham have conceded whilst we've been in the championship? There's a great article by uh, Guy Barlow. Um, earlier about the best it's quite a depressing read actually but also it's very interesting the best goals that have been scored against Fulham yeah, since we've been in the championship I mean there's some outrageous strikes in there the one that always gets me is um, Ross Wallace's for
2: Wallace,
0: yeah. Sheffield Wednesday it was just oh, it was just outrageous the one he missed that
2: I really, that I really rated was Craig Noon yeah, that one's not. Oh, really, yeah, I'm yeah, having that, that. On the list. Craig Noon uh, for Cardiff. Against o- opening,
1: opening day of the se- Opening day of the season. Yep. Just when we looked like we were going yes, to uh, to win on the opening day uh, uh, at uh, at the Cardiff City Stadium. Um, he cuts in. Is it Kvoesa? Who's 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 in? Who's in? in front of him there playing on the wrong side? And he he it looks like he's got him covered, and then he just sort of checks back in. And, and even the then, and even then, like I mean, that was an unbelievable goal. Uh, there, there are, there are an awful lot. Um, Do you know was, one in there that I thought?
0: Um, I think it was uh, one all between Fulham and Derby, same season, and Craig Bryson. Yes, a lovely volley
1: from the edge of the box. Yeah, I mean, I'm afraid it just brings back all sorts of rage um just just in general whenever we can see the goal i'm not a happy man um was so, it? it was a brutal arc to read. It's, <laughs> it like was. Really
2: there's, that moment, there's that free kick from lee tomlin in there which is the only time i've ever been convinced that fulham were going to get relegated from the championship and it's like watching it again is genuinely heart rendering and like at least we're not you know the good news is we're not talking about this from the depth of league one yeah. but at the time i was like it's, it, it's over it's done yeah finished
1: I, that. I mean i i do sort of take perverse more perverse pleasure from the sort of scrappy like didn't track the run in the last in the last minute you know goals that we <laughs> conceded in our shambolic times in in the championship but yeah you have to admit there have been some absolutely outstanding strikes and I, I would go as far as saying this is clearly you know this is probably that is probably the goal of the season uh from lafondra I, I, I'm thinking just for for any number of. Reasons. Technically, it is superb. Like there, there yeah, is no, and especially on this week,
2: Tim for, Cahill in that World Cup is well Van,
0: the... Van
1: Basten. <laughs> You know, wrong side. So that's what I said. Yeah, course. That's what I said at the beginning of
0: the program. I said Jamie Vardy, the one he scores against Liverpool over um, over cap. Is it probably actually um, mini layers, isn't it? Um, in their championship-winning season. Anyway, let's come off of the slightly depressing topics of good goals scored against Fulham. Uh, let's talk about Tom Kenny. Uh, you briefly mentioned him earlier, Dan. Uh, he was given a 16-minute cameo off the bench, which is very pleasing news. It's been a bit of a strange couple of weeks with TC because we just don't know. What the situation is with Tom Kearney. You and know, uh, clearly they still don't really haven't really got to the root of the cause with his knee injury. But he's made a bit of a cameo. Is there a chance, Jack, that we're going to see him over this six-game run, which we're going to talk about a bit later? Well, you kind of hope so. That's the the. More than but he's anything. only had 16 minutes match practice. Is he gonna make? Is it is it enough to make an impact over these really important games coming up?
2: I mean, it's Tom Kearney. He, he always has the ability to make an impact. It's you know, it's as simple as that. And you know, yes, we cannot be dealing with a passenger in these in these six games. But at the same time, your club captain is you know is your club captain, and we all know that TC's capable of magic moments and and making defense splitting passes and and creating goals. And you know that's what we that's what we look for in, in from a captain and from our kind of talisman. So. I hope that we've seen the worst of it behind him, you know, and, you know, we said this last time and then suddenly he came back into form and he felt all right again and then suddenly it all just disappeared again. So, you know, I I don't think we can rely on it. I don't think we can rely on someone saying, you know, that he's going to start. I don't think we can be like he's going to start on Saturday. I, I, you know, we don't know. I hope he can. I hope he's fit enough and I hope that, he, you know, this week is a good week of training. But ultimately we just have to kind of play it by ear, I guess.
0: What was his um, performance
1: like in the 16 minutes that you saw Dan? I thought it was good. Got on the ball. We certainly looked um much more dangerous in the final third once he was on the field. Um he orchestrates things. It's a confidence thing for um for 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 the team as much as it is um for the fans. He is talismanic. He does have that ability to open up a packed um defense. Uh you can play that that he can he can do a number of things. He can play a defence splitting pass. He can have a shot from outside the box. Which, but specifically you know. on Saturday, what what was what was the impact? Well, it was, it was there was he he was energetic. He enlivened what previously had looked a little bit laboured, a little bit formulaic um, in terms of uh, in terms of our attacking approach. And equally, what was more encouraging was he wasn't. Um, resting on his laurels or trying to protect his knee. He was charging around the pitch. Um, he, he was... Uh, and just as important, you know, if anybody believed any of that transfer nonsense, he was very much cajoling his teammates, urging them on, you know, being that leader that... Um, people have sometimes under, underrated Kearney's sort of maturity into a, into a leadership role at uh, Fulham. I think at first it was an issue, but I think he's grown into the role, hasn't yeah. he? Yeah and you know just touching on um touching on what what Jack has, has said I'd slightly uh, disagree about how how pivotal he is because we've performed incredibly well um but with, against lesser teams with, in a without, sense without him yeah maybe I'd, I I feel as though um we've been able to graft and get get results which is a quality that we're probably going to need yeah. in these next in these next six games because you know we're not going to have it all our own way um, and unfortunately, Ollie Norwood wasn't um, wasn't up to the to standard he has been uh, of late on, on on Saturday. But he's been a capable understudy. Um, look, there's no doubting the importance of uh, of Kearney. His his presence uh, just distracts uh, opponents quite clearly. He's got. Um, unbelievable ability to, to make something happen and we're a better team with, with him in it. it it may arguably make the difference between challenging for an automatic promotion spot and having to settle for the playoffs if we can get him fit and firing but I don't think it's all doom and gloom if he's not there we just have to be patient with him it's like in the early stages when, you, when you're when you seeing a girl who you really like um, Where's he going? You know, no. Just like you've got to, you've you you, 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 you you've got to be patient to, to reach those moments of um, pure ecstasy. Well, so.
0: With Valentine's Day coming up, there's some top tips uh, from the man like Dan Crawford. Um, <laughs> Joe, Fulham look most likely to win it at the end. Uh, another sign of our ability to wear out teams and strike late. And then we had genuine chances. I feel like we had as good a chances as we did against Barnsley. The only difference was in this game, just the the chances didn't fall to us quite as kindly as they did up at Oakwell.
3: No, definitely. Uh, We had the chances. I think that's just been a a long-running problem with Fulham, is is we do get the chances, but we just don't finish them.
0: But we have of late. It was just uh, on Saturday we kind of went back to our own ways of just fluffing our lines a few times, and Steph Joe is probably the most guilty but after that unbelievable run, I felt like I couldn't really criticise him. Yeah, he literally ran from the touchline to their
3: six-yard box. I don't really blame him for... Well, he did have better options in the box in the name of Kamara. Kamara was the closest man to him. And like you say, on the if you look on a replay, I feel like in, that, in hindsight, he probably should have passed that. However, he's just run from the left flank all the way across. He's gone all the way across about six players mm. at full pelt. While dribbling with the ball in the late st- latter stages of the of the game, by the time he's about to hit that, he's probably knackered. And you see, after after he's hit the ball, he's on the floor, and he he really looks like he he's out of strength and and power. So, I think if that chance had fell to him in in uh, earlier stage in the game, he probably would have finished it. Was it selfish of him? Yes, but I don't blame him for for having the shot. Create, after he created it. the
1: whole thing himself. I mean, yeah. If you're going to criticize, I mean. It, it was the best Ricky Villa impression I've seen since primary school. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it, it, it That's was, a niche reference. Really I like was, that a lot. It really was quite, um, quite incredible. The, if you're going to blame him for something, it's actually for doing what they tell you, what, for getting what, he what he's obviously been coached to do, which is go across the goalkeeper in that position. Go for the far corner. Don't go for the near post. Um, but, you know, like I said with, uh, with Bet, you, you know, you have to acknowledge... Um, what what Steph had put into that extraordinary run, which, you know, it, it felt like when he was running across the pitch, he was going away from a goal, creating a goal-scoring opportunity and it actually all opened up for him. But I think on the broader point, Sammy, I, I felt it was just a case of our luck running out because, you know, if you look um, just in the last couple of games, you know, Ryan, Fredericks, nutmegs, two guys, beautifully um slams a shot against the post and it falls perfectly for I mean the Barnsley game was for, so much luck like. for Ryan Sesnion then you have that extraordinary scramble on the goal line where the goalkeeper decides to push a header up instead of catching it and you know we have about eight goes at getting it over the line before Kevin McDonald says all right lads enough I'm here um and uh, and then even in the Nottingham Forest game you have the Costa Pantelimon you know normally a very reliable goalkeeper uh, not getting enough on that shot from 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 Lucas Piazon. So I felt like, uh, and, and you go back a little bit further, and we somehow got out of the Riverside Stadium with three points. Mm-hmm. I'm still not sure how that happened. Um, Great for Yeah, like you know, um, the you know the the police in that in that region are probably still investigating a robbery. <laughs> um, I, I I feel like this was just one one step too far. Um, and we did have the chances, you know. Abu, I love Abu, but, there's but part- even though, even in the in the 94th
0: minute, and Cess is denied <sighs> a heavy with touch. a last ditch yeah, tackle, yeah. and that was such. Uh, I'm not. I actually, it was more. I think better defending rather than Cess's yeah. mistake. It just felt to me like it just didn't go quite our way. And I, I totally agree with you. I think that's the most apt thing that we has been said tonight. It's just our luck slightly ran out. On Saturday, and had it been Barnsley, had it been Forest, and we've had a dash of luck that we had that day, it probably would have ended up in three points because we created those opportunities. Just before we move on to the upcoming games, Jack, I just want to get a final word from you. We can't be expected to win every game. Is it just a case of that, or was this a real missed opportunity to get three points in the bag?
2: I suppose it depends on how you look at it. If you look at it as that everyone else around us dropped points, then you can you can look at it as either we failed to capitalise on everyone else's bad results, or we haven't lost any ground. And and it, I suppose depending on what your what your impetus is and what, how you want to look at it, that that kind of opens up
1: for you. So how do you want to look at it, mate?
2: How do I want to look at it? I want to look at it as you know other people around us. Drew, we've got the only team that gained points in us were Aston Villa, who we have this weekend and an opportunity to rectify that immediately. So, you know, if, if if for me, I think it's a decent point, a tough place to go. Um, yes, it would have been nice to win it. And, you know, there are things that, if for me, Seth should go down there, 94th minute. Seth should hit the deck. Oh. Um, and I think, you know, it, it's one of those things where the, it was man and ball and the, it was a 50-50. And if he'd gone down, then, you know, who knows what might have happened. But... I can't I can't look at that and be like bad result because you know, you look at Bolton's home form and you look at everything else that happened around us uh, and you have to be like, Yeah, it's a decent point and it's another point, our unbeaten runs carried on and we've got to now look at these like we always said, these next six games are gonna be crucial to how we finish this season and it, it all kind of lies on now. So, you know, forward not backwards. And well,
1: given and given that then you're firmly back in the Slavis Ring camp? Of course. Another blow from Dan Crawford just before we enter the break. We're going to be
0: discussing uh, the impact of our four-game runway that's just happened and the tough six games coming up after the break. Hello, Sammy here. How's it going? Normally in this bit of the podcast, we have a sponsor message, often selling very posh craft beer. But we'd like to find some new sponsors for 2018 and we thought we might put the message out there. We need a sponsor so that we can pay the bills, stuff like the website, buying equipment and buying ourselves enough beer that numbs the pain of Jack's incessant ranting. If you've got a business and you'd like to advertise to the thousands of Fulham fans that listen to this show every week, give us an email pod at We can have a chat and see what we can do for you. That's pod at fulhamish.co.uk. Drop us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Hello and welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. My name is Sammy James, still joined by Joe Johnson. How's it going? Dan Crawford. Hello, mate. And Jack Collins. Hello. It's round two of the boxing (laughs) battle, the royale between Crawford and Collins. It's currently uh, level pegging at the moment, which is... uh, which is good to
1: see. Have I'm a sure, word with the Chargers. I'm it's sure brutally,
0: there's really sh- harsh on Dan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of opportunities for some more knockout blows to be landed. Uh, just to say on this week's Fulhamish Extra uh, we're going to be chatting all things Aston Villa. Obviously it's going to be a crunch match, uh, a thriller against the Villa uh, on Saturday so we'll have an opposition fan preview uh, plus we're going to be having a little bit of chat about the under 18s and also the Riverside stand project as well so that we drop in on Thursday morning so make sure you download that podcast from whatever podcast store you like okay so we spoke at the beginning of this four game run which was bolton forest barnsley and burton how important these four games were if we were to maintain our playoff run and potentially an automatic promotion push which uh, we'll come on to 10 points out of 12 to be honest obviously it's a great tally to have got from those games but in my opinion joe that was the minimum of what was required. We've got it, so we can be happy.
3: No, definitely that, that was definitely the minimum we we should have got out of those results, considering the the fixtures we've got upcoming. We're playing something stupid in the next six. Well, it's, I can let you know it's us.
0: it's it's um the next six games. It's quite remarkable how this yeah. season's fallen for us. It's it's Villa, Bristol City, Wolves, Derby, Sheffield United, Preston. And following that, say West London Derby against QPR as well. So I mean it's a mental run of fixtures.
3: I know, we're playing the, the three beneath us and three of the four above us. So Villa is a very, very big game. But yeah, in the last couple of games with the twelve point the ten points out the twelve, sorry. Um, I think that was definitely the bare minimum that we could afford to get coming into this ne- these next six fixtures. What shape do you think we're
0: in looking at the table for for this run of games? We find ourselves in fifth position, but those there's about three teams just outside the playoffs, Preston, Middlesbrough and Sheffield United, who are only a few points behind. They're lurking. Any mistake you make, they're going to pounce.
3: No, I, I think we're in fairly good good form, considering, although the only blip we've had is, is Bolton, but I wouldn't even consider that much of a, a blip, considering the, the, the game and the side they are at home. Villa is going to be the, the big game for us, I think. I think that's kind of... If we, get, if we manage to pull off a win there, I think that will really spur on the team. I'm not too confident about walls, but I wouldn't say we're in the worst form. We're, we're in a pretty good place to be going through these running fixtures.
0: Jack, you spoke about the four-game run, where in fact you coined the phrase that I've just been um, spouting on about for the last um, 10 minutes. Sorry, what, what, do, what do you make of Fulham's position now? Because we've kind of cemented ourselves in that, Playoff gang of four. We've kind of ousted Sheffield United from the from the, the actual playoff positions. I'm not saying that they're out of the picture, full stop. No, but have we, we? We're obviously not going to pick up maximum points from the next 18 available. I mean, there's no reason we can't. I mean, but, really?
2: Well, yeah. As in, I don't think that it's unbelievably weird to suggest that we might actually just win all these games. Last year, you look at our form against the top teams and. You know, we did really well. Aside from you know Reading, who I refused to acknowledge as a top team, um, they, they just weren't very good. But you know, Brighton were the only team that actually out you know outgunned us, I suppose, over two games. Even then, we played really well against my home, and we just got undone by five minutes of magic. But you know, we it was two games that maybe we didn't deserve to win. The rest of them, we routed people. And you look at that, and then you think. Why can't we do that again? And the answer is, well, there's no reason we can't. Wolves are unbelievable this year, but we've seen recently that they've stumbled, they've not been, you know, perfect and they've they they've dropped points. And, you know, for if, if they come to Fulham and play you know, play the way that they do and, and open up the game and try and play us at football, there's no reason we can't go hammering tongs with them and win that game.
0: I actually think Wolves is one of the games that we have a chance of getting some points from because at the end of the day, They've got first sewn up. Um, Dan, out of 18 points that are available from this six games, how many do we need to stay in playoff contention, first of all, before we get on to automatics? How many do we need to stay in the race? So after the six games, we're still in the
1: playoffs. Um, Dan's dates is uh, hitting him up. Oh, blimey. Um, <laughs> Bang! I, I think I'm so overwhelmed. I think... Uh, I'm going to slightly play devil's advocate with you here, Sammy, because I think a mere points total is not um, is not the way you measure this because of this league's unpredictability. Okay, you know you've still got this is still one of the most bizarre leagues um, in the world. In the you know, um, strange things can happen. You know, we were all sitting there on Saturday, thinking, "Oh, blimey, Bristol City are really flying at half time, throwing it up." And then mm. <laughs> walking out the ground, you check the other results, and suddenly, uh, as Jack was referencing a little earlier, you know, the one-one draw didn't seem so so disastrous for me. Um, it's about how we measure up against against these sides. And when you asked um, the lads earlier, you know, what sort of position are we in? How do, how do we feel going into this? crucial run of fixtures and there's no point denying that this is a a vital a vital period just for the confidence and morale um heading into that final straight of the season. We're in a terrific sp- position. We've got virtually a fully fit squad. We've got the confidence of going on that run that has it, that has sort of um refounded the belief, reinvigorated uh, uh, the confidence of of a squad that has the both the, the knowledge and the and the confidence of having ground out results against in, in, in a tough in a tough run of of fixtures already. Um, but to answer your question, because I can see from the way you're looking at me, you want an answer. Um, Always. I would be saying you've got to be looking between the 12 and 15 uh, point mark um, because for two reasons. You don't want to be drifting at this point of the season back to the position that we were last season because last season's run was phenomenal. I can't say this enough. I don't believe anyone who said they saw it coming because it was just exceptional. That was championship winning form. We're in the position now where we don't need to replicate that to get into the playoffs. But being a Fulham fan the knowledge that we've never won a playoff fixture i'd rather not go through that again it's like you know all of your worst nightmares or your worst dates or your worst you know your worst experiences in life your worst job interviews all rolled into one those sort of pale into insignificance with the um the gut-wrenching feeling of watching fulham in the playoff that's the fourth
0: time you've mentioned dating tonight dan um Coming on to automatic promotion. I'm just trying to though. help you out, big man. Yeah, I, know. I need all the help I can get. Is the automatic promotion place possible? Me, I personally feel like it's too far away. I, and, I, and I feel like our upcoming opponent's villa have it in the bag. And and call me a natural pessimist, I, I don't mind, but come on. I just cannot see automatics happening.
1: Oh, look. i something. I think well, okay. I'll, should I be the, be the pessimist? Should I be yeah. the lone voice of you know? No, I'll,
2: here's one for here's one for the ages. I'll throw my weight behind Crawford. Oh, I boy, think it's possible.
1: I'm not sure I want your considerable weight behind me, mate. <laughs>
2: uh-huh. <laughs> just
1: another knockout blow from Crawford. Uh, you know, Although with my weight behind it. <laughs> Go on then. I just I'm confident about this. Because of the quality of the football that we've we've played already this season, and the fact that we haven't touched the heights of of last season, and there's so, there's something that we've just sort of tiptoed around so far. Jack mentioned it earlier on. Teams who are confident in their style of football and their approach will come to Craven Cottage and be at home and play. The style of football, trying to impose their football on us, and everyone agrees that we're we're at, their, we're at our best when we're taking on teams who try who throw numbers forward. And all of those sides who are around this region have successful attacking formulas to their game that are going to they're going to draw us on, and that's that's going to be interesting. Also, Derby, you know, they're a very solid defensive side. I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. But I think they are beatable. They've had, a, they've had stumbles at points in this season. They've got a very good manager in Gary Rowett. Um, but I feel like there are pretend, there are spaces in their side that you can explore. Aston Villa, you know, I watched the um, Second City derby yesterday. And boy, what a dreary affair that was. I was hoping for a bit more blood and thunder, you know, uh, because... Villa didn't need to make it.
0: A blow and thunder affair. They just knew that eventually they'd have the quality I to be the side like a Birmingham. Pretty
1: harsh on David Stockdale, mate. Um, I I <laughs> I um I, I don't know, you know. I feel like they're a team in Steve Bruce's image, sort of slightly lumbering, you know, pretty fairly predictable, dependable. They'll sort of be there or thereabouts. Um, but they're, they're, they're a flat track bully, to use a cricketing analogy. They're, they're, u- they, they're useful rather than brilliant.
2: Yeah, exactly. They're not going to blow you away. Yeah, but, but they mean, do have magic.
1: They have yeah, a couple cool, of players
3: with magic. Of course
1: in they do. But look at the magic in our squad. We, you know, you've got, so you got, you got Tom Kearney. I know, but
3: you've they got, have won seven in a row at this yeah, point, haven't yeah, well,
1: Okay, but records are there to be broken. That they'll come here, they'll think, look, we're going down to London for a nice weekend, here you are. And, and, and they'll be thinking if they win this game, then yes they're absolutely nailed on for that second promotion that's what i want them to be thinking i want them to be you know i want them to be sort of imagining the golden the delights that will that will uh, be be waiting for them in in, in the Premier League because you know the season's not done yet. You don't win anything in, in in February, and the caliber of attacking potential we've now got to unleash on lumbering defenders like John Terry and James Chester. You know you could line up. Look at the pace that we could have in the forward line. You you can't get enough of it in the side. Cabano, Aite, Sessignon, Kamara. You know. There's some genuinely frightening speed that will come up against Villa's defence. And that's before you get into, uh, you get into the, the midfield battle. So I don't feel like we should be in fear of any team in this league.
0: Well, we're going to come on more onto Villa uh, in the extra podcast. I felt like I was in any given Sunday uh, during that at points. Dan, that speech was uh, quite inspirational uh, at moments. Um, let's move on to some of the questions because there's been uh, quite a few come in on the old post bag, and Jack has reclaimed it from Don Betts, uh, who's been looking after it for the past couple of weeks. Has he kept it in good order?
2: Yeah, it's been it's been very well. Noted and, and put down together. Dom's okay. actually, Dom's actually filed it in alphabetical order. So shouts out to Dom. Oh, well done. Dom. Whoever knew that secretarial duties would be his calling in life. Um, what was coming in on the old post bag? So I'm going to start with one we got as a direct message on Twitter from Luke Johnson. He says this is a good one for for a wide ranging variety. He says there have been several players who have had very good seasons so far. Who, in your opinion, has been our best player and who has surprised you the most? I'm going to start with you, Joe. Two answers, please.
3: So best player? Yep. I think has been sorry for the long pause I think it's been uh, Ryan Sessing. I would say I think Sessing or Reem for me just because I think our defensive struggles have been have been something that's that's held us back for quite a while yeah. and um Sessing, although he was lumbered at left back and at times he's not the best interceptor he has driven us forward quite a lot and Reem I feel like has been very solid while Callas has not been so solid so if if they had both performed let's say if, if Reem had performed in in a way that, that Callas has been this season I don't think we'd be in the position we are now, and Ream has saved us in quite quite a number amount of times. Yeah, definitely.
2: Uh, who surprised you the most?
3: Oliver Norwood, I think. Yeah. I wasn't fairly convinced at the start when he joined. I was like, kind of oh why have we why have we bolstered our midfield a bit more? We don't really need Oliver Norwood. But it, in the time that Kenny has been absent, I feel like he's fitted in with the other two around him very very well. He's definitely um, had people giving him praise. What yep. he's doing in the middle, he's held held the squad together at times as well. I think I think he's performed above my expectations. Sammy,
0: um, I could have gone with both of Joe's shouts definitely, but I'm going to go something slightly different. I'll go with Tim Ream for Player of the Season for me. Cessinon obviously is a clear candidate for that, but for me, I just think Tim Ream has been so solid at the back, so dependable, and for for me, is the first name on the team sheet and. I never thought I'd be saying that a couple of years ago. I just think his ability to carry the ball out of defense and the amount of times he's just saved us in, in situations where you just think the odds are 90 to 10 against him and he always just seems to come out on top. He's got... Unbelievable strength for quite a slight man as well. And I just think that he's been an absolute rock for us at the back this season. And we haven't been able to depend so much on Thomas Callas. And yet Reem has been there as a constant throughout the side. Most surprising, I think, given his start, is Abubakar Kamara. Because I was so down after... I think particularly the Bristol Rovers match where I just I, I, I saw I, I saw the raw potential when he signed for us. And I just thought that he wasn't going to cut it after that Bristol Rovers match. I, I fully agreed with Jack at the time. I just thought this is a donkey. This is an absolute donkey in this side. And we've been mugged of five and a half million pounds to Amion. And yet in the last few games, he's shown the signs of a player that could genuinely cut it definitely at this tier and i actually think there is potential that abubakar kamara could cut it at even slightly higher level than he is at the moment if he's doing this at 22 so
1: that's my surprise of the season daniel oh hello jack um well i'll i'll offer some variety because uh my suggestions were taken by our by our other two uh expert guests that is the good thing um,
2: about football is playing well
1: yeah, well, you know, I mean, all those players that you coated off, Jack, they've, they've, they've turned up. All and, of uh, them. Yeah, look, I mean, you were quite, you, you slagged off a large number of our simply undue.
2: Simply, this is literally now just nonsense being spelt. No, we one. Kamara. Yeah,
1: you know, go on. <laughs> I expand. I can expand. <laughs> go on there's, then, lad. There's plenty, but I feel like no, wait, the listeners won't. are waiting for an answer. No, Um. Mm-hmm. Which is the, in terms of our most uh, improved player or, or the most impressive performer of, of this season, you know, Tim Reim is obviously up there and he's, he's been outstanding. I think his transformation shows you what uh, Slovisi Akanovic and Stuart Gray have been able to do on the training ground um, to fit somebody into that system who. Who wasn't a natural at it right at the beginning? I'll actually go for Kevin McDonald for the for the simple reason that um, uh, we're a poor aside organisationally, defensively, uh, without McDonald uh, being there. And he does so much work. I mean, at one point on, on Saturday, he was trying to tackle somebody whilst indicating that the linesman should have had his flag up and berating the referee. And pointing to the centre backs about where they should be. I mean, you know, normally I would struggle to do one of those things on a football pitch whilst watching the ball. He can do all of them. So, so Kevin Macdonald has been been sensational. Uh, who would surprise? Who surprised me? You know, there's great value in in, in what uh, Sammy and and Joe have have said uh, I go for Marcus Bettinelli simply because I didn't expect Marcus to be to be back in the team at this point um, and he's come up with the goods on 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 so many occasions you run out of superlatives for that double save against against Nottingham Forest which in the final sort of analysis could be could be really crucial when you when you look back at it
0: Jack, just quickly, what were your... I'm going to leave the
2: best player out because I feel like the three main candidates have been covered, but I've been most surprised with Ryan Fredericks. That's going to be my add to this because last year, Ryan Fredericks was a potent attacking weapon in terms of offering pace down the side, but would constantly drill the ball in flat against the defender and nine times out of every ten times the ball went into the box, it would be cleared by the first man. And Ryan Fredericks has added some different dimensions to his game. So that's nice on and i mean the ability to cross. Oh, it's not even I, I wouldn't even say that. I would just say that he's 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 added the ability to cut inside. He started taking on players a bit more, he he's more dynamic and he offers different things. And I've been impressed with how he's, you know, really Brought new dimensions into his game to how to to kind of you know stretch defenses in, in different ways and bring that through. So that would be my surprise surprise package of the season, shall we say?
0: Cool. What's next in the post bag, please?
2: It's from Tim Britain. I, I know a lot of people are going to disagree with this, but I think we should hear it out. it Says okay. if we play Kamara and Mitrovic up top, should we switch to a four four two? In which case, would you play potentially Cyrus Christie on the right to cover the balance of you know the kind of defense dropping back in, as yeah, if you will?
0: why are we changing a winning formula look it. it's just a question
2: to see if there's an option to play too, if, you know when kamara mitrovic came on with kamara on the right it didn't necessarily work Mm. Yeah, so I'm saying if there's a way of getting Kamara and shoehorning
0: Kamara and Mitrovic to the side, is it by changing the system? Is it unfortunate that we're just going to have to accept that trying to get all of these attackers on the pitch at once is not possible? Yeah, we are going to have to accept that. But let's, you know, let's deal with the question first.
2: But
1: that was I mean, I, that was kind of
0: my answer to it. But Dan,
1: what are you saying? No, I just uh, first of all, it wasn't Jack's question. He's merely reading them out. Um, the four four two, you know, isn't it? We, we do. Well, the one thing we struggled for last season was we became too predictable, right? Yeah. In the, by the time we got to the pivotal games of the season, sides had had some time to plan how to how to play against us, and even though we passed up a number of opportunities in that. A uh, horrible game that we all want to forget about at the Majeski Stadium. Um, you know we were still a little bit too um, formulaic, if you like, in in the way that we were attacking. So we do need to have other options. I, it's not actually the fact that the four four two is a, is a radical departure. I just think it it it's, um nullifies some of our strengths in other areas. So in a classical four four two, for example, where are you going to play? tom kearney all right who's going to miss out from that midfield triumvirate that usually makes us fire you know who's going which one of (laughs) who's going to be who's going to tell um or uh, stephanie hansen that sorry mate you're not required this week have a sit down you know we could uh, play him in a false nine (laughs) (laughs) oh oh right we're we're, we're revisiting we're revisiting previous (laughs) subjects well, we could play him in a false nine, but as an adaptable manager, you kind of is quickly dispensed with that yeah. once it became clear it wasn't going to work after three and also, games. And also, Jack, also Jack, he deployed, you know, one of Fulham's worst ever strikers at an absolute donkey um, as a center as a center forward uh, after that. And didn't it work? You know, how many goals has uh, has Mr. Kamara scored this season? Six, is it? Yeah, I mean, that's not a bad not a bad strike rate from uh, from the first from the first team starts that that he's had. But back to the question, I'm not actually um, uh, completely uh, opposed to the idea of pairing Mitrovic and Kamara together because the um, the you know the sheer carnage that will result. Um, Late on in a game, could, I don't could, could, mind it could, so could, much. Could call, you know look. Um, we certainly created a lot of chances, you know, Joe, Joe mentioned it earlier on, didn't you? We create a lot of chances at Bolton once they're on the pitch together. And I feel like as they strike up more of an understanding, you know, and certainly against defences that will struggle against that, you've got the classical, you know, Mitrovic as a hold up, authentic, number nine type uh, forward. And Kamara with that pace and power, certainly against a tiring defence, could, could be a real problem.
3: I completely understand why it's being raised the 442 that but specifically mentioning Mitrovic and Kamara up top. The 442 for me I don't think would would work with our side just simply because a lot of our creative ability derives from the ability to use Tom Kearney a bit further up the pitch and have that structure behind him that means he doesn't have to drop back as much and in a 442 I don't think that would work. There are other formations which we could encompass having two Strikers oh, yeah, up top
1: Tell me about this Go
3: <laughs> There are other formations I know we did try out I think we tried out A 3-5-2 at one point In one game It didn't really go to plan
0: In a couple of games It hasn't gone to plan Any time But that's so not saying
3: It's not saying, it, saying it
0: it, It's not saying That it couldn't work again it, what, it,
3: But I just don't think At this point What, we've else, got have got? Far. what <laughs> else have we got What else have got
1: Yeah come on He's, he's,
3: he's, he's,
1: he's, he's, uh, he's replacing Ben Jarman Here with his tactical insight
3: I mean we could always do A 3-4-1-2 Oh Yes I know. Oh. But then again, it's it's. I don't know if this is something that has been worked on in the training ground. It's not like football manager; you can just you can switch up the formation and go, "Go on, boys, have a, have a crack at that." Because it's, 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 it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. These formations are played out a couple of times a week in training. Constantly, it's something that's routinely drilled. Everyone's got their own their own job to do within the formation that they play. To suddenly chop and change that, I don't think it 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 would work. I, there is a call for the two up top. I don't necessarily think that we should change what we're doing oh, I right think, now. isn't
1: it nice that we're discussing the amount of options we have in terms of forwards now, all of a sudden? Agreed. Yeah, um, Jack, we've got time for a couple more quick questions, so do you want to right, dive in? Right, let's rattle.
2: It? Should we rattle through something? Yeah, let's rattle. This is always a Quick oh, fire
0: round. Um, okay, right. Camram says, with unrest
2: surrounding Fredo's contract being rife, is it too early to project that Christie is a worthy alternative next term?
1: Are they genuinely similar in terms of quality? Dan? I think they probably are genuinely similar in terms of quality given uh, Christie's calibre at at this level. I just don't think they're the same type of player. Um, So so Cyrus Christie is a goal threat as we know from earlier in the season but it's from slightly different uh, situations if you like. I feel like he's there to supplement um, that right back role, rather than replace Ryan Fredericks. There's obviously a bit of uncertainty about Fredo's contract. But are you telling me that if we got promoted, Ryan would be like, "Oh no, I'm going to apply my trade somewhere else." You know, he's very focused on his football. He's he he, he said that in, in in public. He's not too worried about sorting out a contract that that um when he has a good good relationship with Fulham. I feel like we'll see a bit of Cyrus Christie. Uh, at some point and will be a better side um, because of it.
2: So this is from at Weekly Geekly, who is a regular contributor of questions. He says, Cess is one day going to leave Fulham to a bigger club. What do you think would be the best option when Fulham get promoted? There is an if in there, but I've ignored it. Um, <laughs> selling him for a high price in the summer and spending the money on a building a team to stay up or trying to keep hold of him another year but him experiencing Premier League football in a, in a team where he might not shine. If Fulham struggle with the step up, which means may risk a sell on his price. I mean, say the, if we got, I think if we the, got if, promoted, let's say yeah. if we got promoted, would we keep sell him and try and use the money to build a team, or? keep him and potentially take a hit on his price because he might not shine in a Fulham team that might struggle, for example.
3: See, if we get promoted, I don't think we necessarily need to cash in on him because the extra revenue we're going to be getting from the Premier League anyway, just from being promoted, even if we go, if we go up, let's say, by the playoffs, the Correct amount point. of sheer money that we get just from going through the playoffs is ridiculous. So I don't think it's necessary to cash in on Ryan Sessiung and I don't believe that, I think Sessiung is quite a level-headed player considering his age and I think he he'd be able to make a a fairly good decision if it was to a a top flight club a top four team it would be very hard to turn that down but I think in his case if that was to happen I feel like he'd be loaned back maybe that might be an option that's on the table but yeah if we do get promoted I don't think it's necessary that we we cash in on him because his value is only going to increase exponentially if he doesn't get injured of course because his progression is undeniable.
0: I think clubs are clever enough to see through it. Let's say he does play for us next season in the Premier League and we did struggle because we only finished 18th, 17th, whatever. I think that the top clubs are wise enough to see through that Cessignon would be playing in a weak squad and that his value wouldn't really go down unless he had an absolute rotter of a season which even so I still don't think his value would go through the floor that much. It is an interesting point though that he raises. You know, If you got an extra 50 million to spend it may be enough to uh, keep you in in the Premier League it's it's not a ludicrous suggestion that he makes but I think we would have more value in holding on to Cessignon because of what we're going to be if you if you go up you're looking for players that can make a real impact in the Premier League. There's one we've got already. Why sell him and then have to find another player that needs to step up to the Premier League when we're already going to be full of of a squad that needs stepping up?
2: Okay, one last question. One word answers, please, everybody. This is from Louis Canwell on Instagram. Which striker should start against Aston Villa? Daniel Crawford. Mitrovic. Joe.
3: AK. Sammy.
2: Font. (laughs) Great. (laughs) going to hold in. (laughs) (laughs) I'd go Font, yeah. Yeah, I'm
0: going to go for it as well. Cool, right. So um, that is the end of today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening today. Fulhamish Extra will be out on Thursday morning. We're going to be looking in more detail at the Aston Villa game, um, which is going to be a huge, huge game at the cottage this weekend. I know we're all very, very excited for that one. Uh, Jack, we just need to name today's podcast. What have you come up with? Trotting along. Trotting along. Very, very good.
2: Trotting along nicely, actually, I think is probably probably slightly more oh, yeah conducive to the, the mood of the podcast as a whole.
0: And there's three words as well. We, we love nothing more than three, three words. Three words work, words work for us, yeah. Trotting along nicely. All right, well, just before we finish this week's podcast, uh, just need to give a big congratulations out to two uh, very special people in the Fulhamish world. Uh, first of all is to our digital man, Adam Far Carson, who uh, has just got engaged to his lovely partner, Mel. Uh, and also to Ivan Berry, who you'll all know as the stadium announcer for Fulham, who's also got engaged to his partner as well. Laura. Laura, there we go. I'm doing really well on the... Uh, I'm definitely getting invites to these two <laughs> weddings, I'm sorry uh, Dan's got a little message for you. That's outrageous, Dan.
1: Come on. Listen... Uh... It's a timeless football chant and I thought it might add a bit of levity nah, this special that's, you're, out, you're out of order there, Dan. Oh, you're completely mate. out of order. They come out got a red card here. Sorry, lads. <laughs> um, it was big... a message, I think it's a fair message to their missus's more, oh, yeah. more than to the boys themselves. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quite. Uh, but we, we, can't can... believe, we can't believe they pulled it off. Well done, lads. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh,
0: big congratulations uh, to you both. So yeah, Fulhamish will be back on Thursday. Looking forward to that big Villa game. All that remains to be said is to Joe Johnson on his debut. Thank you very much. Debut, thank you. Thank uh, you. Dan Crawford, thank you very much. Not my debut, but thank you for having me. And Jack Collins, definitely not your debut. No, not my debut. See you later. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.